0: We are in John chapter 20, the curriculum calls for us to be in John 20, but we're actually going to spend more time in John 21 today, but uh, so we're in both John chapter 20 and and John chapter 21, and we're into our third year of a three-year journey through the Bible. And I'm getting tons of feedback up here, uh, guys, I don't know whether that's a problem on my end or not, but... um, this here is a second part of a three-part mini-series focusing on the encounters and appearances of Jesus that take place between the death and resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, that, that period of time. And we're discovering that the nature and the content of those last times that Jesus spent with his disciples was consistent with what we've seen before uh, from Jesus and his disciple-making. They're times of truth, times of community, and times of engagement as he calls them and equips them and sends them into the world uh, to bear fruit, into the lives of uh, others to make a difference in Jesus' name. So right after Jesus goes public at his baptism, if you back the clock up, a little over three years maybe um, we have as early as mark chapter one going all the way back to the first chapter in Mark we have Jesus calling his disciples and um, if you have your Bible there in front of you you can open it to John chapter 20 but I just want to read you a couple things from mark chapter one and And Mark chapter 3. So Mark chapter 1, we have these words, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And then over in uh, the two chapters, over in chapter 3, we read that he went up into a mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out. So right from the start, right up at the front end, uh, Jesus' time with his disciples are times of truth, community, and engagement. Um, you note there that Mark said that, says that Jesus called the, those first disciples that they might be with him. And that's a relationship. So we're talking about discipleship. We're talking about following Jesus. We're talking about the importance of having that relationship with, with Him that is at the heart of what it means to follow Him and what it means to be His disciple. Um, maybe uh, we could pause there and I would get you to just to pray with me. Can we do that? Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, that our our time is in your hands and that you've ordained this time for us to spend uh, together, to get into your word uh, this morning and just see what you might have for us uh, there that we can take and and learn from and and apply to our lives. And we thank you that your word is powerful, it's quick, sharper than a two-edged sword, Uh, pierces even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. We thank you for your word this morning that you've given it to us. And we pray, Lord, that your word uh, would penetrate our hearts. That you would use your word to do your work in our lives this day. We uh, pray that as we look at these passages, that you would show us what it means to... Have a, a relationship with you, what it means to follow you, and, and, and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We pray these things for your glory and in your name, Lord Jesus, amen. So, we're, we're talking about discipleship or being disciples and making disciples. Both of those things would be included in the concept of discipleship, right? And last week I uh, took a few moments and put the life model, the FBC life model on the screen. And uh, we're gonna put that up again, Aiden put that up for us. And uh, I pointed out last week that there is, um, in the model, there's uh, direction and there's progress um, in our lives, (laughs) see, they they do this to me. I'm looking at that screen back there, I'm not seeing, but there's direction and there's progress in our lives. But there's also this uh, cyclical motion. And uh, so when it comes to outlining that, it's, uh, it's not linear like we would like. It's, it's not as sequential as we like uh, would like. There's, uh, it's not like Jesus called his disciples to himself and then equipped them and then said, all right, congratulations on your graduation. That's it. We're all done. You can go now. It didn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. As we read through the gospel accounts, we see there were multiple times of calling and multiple equipping times and numerous sending times. And that, and that on top of that, all of these things are integrated. All the calling, equipping, sending times were different mixtures of truth and community and engagement happening. and um, Because that's, that's all in accordance with the disciple-making goal that Jesus has for our lives. And, and we need to, to be clear on this, that this being made by Jesus into what he wants us to be is what this is all about. It should be, uh, it should be on our hearts and minds. It should be a preoccupation for us. Um, you might look at that graphic and, and you might think in your mind, uh, it looks kind of weird and, and it's not very pretty, uh, you know, it's not maybe it doesn't look lifelike to you, all those lines and circles and colors and and that's true enough, but remember you're not looking at a picture, you're looking at a diagram, and uh and uh there's something that that you should know if you don't, and that is that that we give a lot of thought to the the issue of discipleship in our, in our church. We think about about it a lot. It preoccupies our thinking and uh and we believe it, it, it should preoccupy our thinking like nothing else. And here's why. Because it preoccupied Jesus. And if these occurrences and these appearances and these encounters that he had with his disciples between his death and resurrection and his ascension uh, don't do anything else for us, they should at least show us that Jesus is relentlessly concerned with your and my personal development as followers of him. This is not something that he was in any way complacent about. Um, I mean, he gave his life to save us, but he did it with a vision for our lives in mind that we would become the the kind of men and women that he made us to be and wants us to be. He's relentlessly concerned about your and my personal development as followers of him. Um, What's it? Take to make a disciple? What, what makes a disciple? Uh, according to our model, it's uh, we, which we believe is a biblical model, is a personal relationship with Jesus, group life, body life, truth, community engagement as we are called and equipped and sent by him into a world that desperately needs for us to be true followers of Christ. So, We see in these encounters that Jesus has with his disciples. In these days, following his death and resurrection, but preceding his ascension, we see Jesus is still passionately pursuing that relationship. So John chapter 20, uh, verses 19 to 20 says, On the evening of that day, That day being the day that Jesus rose from the grave. On that day, later in the day, uh, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the lord. So it's just, it's still the same day the day that Jesus rose and the disciples are huddled behind locked doors and Jesus suddenly is there in in the room and he speaks to them and he speaks the word of peace. And that was a common conventional greeting in Jesus day. It was it was very common similar to what, how you and I would say hello or 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 uh, or goodbye. In Jesus' day, it was a convention to say peace or peace be unto you. But I have to believe that Jesus never used idle words. Are you with me on that? I don't think Jesus ever used idle words. I don't think he wasted words. I believe that when he said peace uh, to them, he was speaking uh, volumes. And as we've studied through the Old Testament, the Hebrew word shalom and all that that means, peace uh, not as the world conceives of peace. Remember, Jesus said, "Peace, I, my peace I leave with you, no, I, give, I give to you not as the world gives. Right? We're talking here about the peace of God and the blessing and the flourishing that is involved in that. And then in verses 21 to 23, Jesus said to them, uh, again, peace be with you. So he repeats the, that, that blessing to them. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they have forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it will be withheld. Um, so I don't want to comment a lot on that because it would be easy to bog down here on, on some of these things. And I, I, to be honest with you, I'm in a hurry to get to chapter 21 this morning, because I I think that that's where we're going to spend most of our time. But as for the sending part in this verse, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. um, Again, we're talking about numerous times and combinations of calling and equipping and sending. And um, he makes here that our uh, going uh, proceeds from his coming and uh, we're going to be looking more at the sending aspect next week. We're going to be talking about Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1. Uh, and then the week after that, we're going to be talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And here when Jesus says that Jesus breathed, breathed on them, the words on them aren't in most manuscripts. Um, but it, it would appear to be this was almost like a preparatory symbolic uh, preparation for them uh, that, uh, to receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Um, Leon Morris in his commentary on John says what the Lord will do invisibly from heaven he here does visibly on earth uh, but as I say, I don't want to really talk a lot about that I, I want to for us to consider more the the um, aspects of these passages as they relate to this subject of our relationship with him. Because remember, Jesus is appearing to them here after he's been crucified and risen. And it would be a gross understatement to say that a lot has happened since the last time they were with Jesus. And you have to know that they are... Uh, thinking heavily about uh, what, how Jesus is going to respond to them and how he's going to uh, treat them and what he's going to say to them uh, because the last time that they really had any time with Jesus um, was when they were deserting him and betraying him and denying him. So when he comes and he appears to them here and he says, peace uh, be to you, uh, you know, maybe what would you be expecting Jesus to say to you if you were one of, of those disciples or if you were one of the, uh, of the 12, what would you honestly be expecting Jesus to say? One of the things that went through my mind as I thought about it this week and tried to put myself in their shoes, I, I, I think I might be expecting Jesus to say, how could you? How could you do that? After everything I've done for you, all that I've taught you, all I've shared with you, all the, all the love and care I've had for you, how could you do that? How could you just walk away from me like that? That's what I'd probably be expecting. Even when Jesus showed them his wounds, we, we think of that as Jesus giving them proof that it was really him. And and obviously it was that. But would not not those wounds also be a reminder to them of the part they played in his suffering? Last week we finished off by reading from John 20, this passage that we're, we're, we're here to right now, John 20, verses 24 through 29, and I want to read it again. Uh, Now, if you want to take a look there with me, John 20, 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger in the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. (laughs) I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, And Thomas was with them, and although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it in, uh, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Then we have those words, those amazing words from Thomas as he stood there uh, in, in amazement. He said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We talked just a little bit about that last week. And then verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Notice the intent that you might have life in his name, that you might believe in him and have life in his name. I mentioned uh, last week as well, uh, but the multiple times that Jesus appeared to the disciples over those days, uh, 40 days, 40 days, it says in Acts chapter 1 and and verse 3. And here we have what seems like a kind of a summary statement. Chapter uh, 20, verses 30 and 31, it seems like a conclusion. It reads like a conclusion. It is a conclusion. It says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The end. That's what it's all about. But it's a curious thing, isn't it? John chapter 1 is a curious thing. It's almost like Jesus has unfinished business. He's, he's, he's appeared to the, the disciples and he's made it clear to them that he's alive, but there's something outstanding here. And as we get into John chapter 21, we see what it is that Jesus still wants to accomplish. He's died on the cross for our sins and has risen again as triumphant Lord, victorious over sin, death, and hell, but there's still unfinished business. The cross... And resurrection of Jesus is the finished, we call it the finished work of Christ. Nothing more is needed for our salvation. He did it all. It was John that records those words of Jesus, it is finished, as he hung his head and breathed his last. So why does John 21 even hear? Let's take a look. John chapter 21, verses 1 to 3. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is another uh, uh, name for the Sea of Galilee, right? And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, I I think right in these verses we start to see and feel some of the uncertainty that Peter and the others had Uh, about exactly what they should be doing. So here they are back home, and uh, Peter's still able to get a following. He's still kind of the leader of the band. Even after all that has happened and all he's been through and all they've gone through, they're still quite willing to follow his lead. And as far as where he's concerned... He's going fishing. Uh, was this a uh, return to the old life, the old way of life? Maybe. But what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Do you kind of go into default mode? Do you have a default setting? Probably. You get the sense here that the last three years of Peter's life was kind of up in the air now. What, it, you know, what does it mean? Peter was very invested, remember. As we're gonna see here, this whole event, this whole encounter really harkens back to those early days of discipleship when Jesus first called Peter and the others. Peter and Andrew, James, and John were all fishermen, right? Here they are right back. And uh, verses 4 through 6, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. So this is the appearance that John is talking about. And we, the, the appearances we looked at before were in Jerusalem or in, in Judea, Jerusalem of Judea, here we are back at the Sea of Galilee, back where it all be, kind of began for these guys, and Jesus, they're out, they're out fishing, out in the boat, and Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Um, later, just a few verses away, uh, John tells us that they were about 100 yards out, which would be about the length of a football field. So you can uh, understand how they, you know, they were a good distance off. And they could see Jesus on the shore, but they couldn't, they couldn't really see him well or, or hear him well. So he would have um, said, verse 5, quite loudly, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. That's verse six. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Um, This is reminiscent, isn't it? You know, if you've been if you've been following along, you've been reading through the gospel accounts. Your mind has got to go back three years to another time at the first at the first when Jesus called. Peter, and uh, and when he he told him when Peter had fished all night, Peter had fished all night there too, and had caught nothing. You remember that? And Jesus told him to cast the net over here, and they did, and suddenly the net was breaking. There were so many fish. And so this is all reminiscent of that time. And so this has got to be going through their minds. It's, of course it's going through their minds. So when he tells them, he holl- hollers out and tells them to cast the net on the right side of the boat, uh, you know, they, they obey. And they, and they, you know, it probably took some faith. Maybe not a lot of faith. Because there's still a lot of things they're not sure about. And, and a lot of things they don't understand. And they don't, they're not even sure who this person is. But now they're pulling in, or trying to pull in the large, one of the largest catches, maybe this, one of the largest two catches of fish ever they've ever had. And so they should know. Verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved before, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. Peter worked all night here and he was he was he wasn't just playing around he was seriously fishing big time he was stripped down to his underwear which is what you do when you're working really hard out on the boat at night with a bunch of guys right and cuz he was he was putting everything he had into this right and so he was stripped down for work, and he threw himself in the sea. He put on his outer garment, threw himself into the sea. And the other disciple came in the boat, dragging a net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about 100 yards off. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Now I noticed nobody, when, they, when uh, Josh asked you what you liked for breakfast, nobody said fish. What what's like fish cakes for breakfast? Come on, people. What kind of maritimers are you anyway? That's like a classic maritime breakfast. Fish cakes, right? So here they are and, and, and they show up and and uh Jesus has breakfast cooked for them. And it's a really kind of an earthy scene. It says, uh that he had a charcoal fire and, and the fish laid out on the on the grill and uh, and he served them. I don't think we should miss the the import of that, you know that Jesus had breakfast ready for them, and he served them and and it it's kind of earthy, but it kind of tells me that Jesus does. He, he cares about those kinds of things too, right? He cares about our, our needs, our physical needs. Uh, because he cares. It's kind of a bottom line. Jesus cares. And, and you wouldn't have written this. You wouldn't, th- that's one of the ways we know that this, is, that this isn't just some story somebody made up. Because you wouldn't write that. All right? You just wouldn't write that. If you tried to envision a resurrected Jesus, he wouldn't do this. But he did. He did do this, and you got to wonder what's going through their minds. Now we don't have to completely wonder because we are told in verse twelve that that uh, where are we here? Verse twelve. Back up to verse uh, nine, where we were reading here. And when they got to the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Got to have bread. I know some people give up bread; they think it's not good for you. It's biblical. Give us this day our daily bread. You should have bread every day. Whole grain is good. Multi grain is good, but bread every day. It's biblical. You don't have to have like four or five pieces, okay? But at least one. Uh, And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. So we're talking 153 large fish. You know, I'm excited when I catch one fish, but 153 large fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. See? Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. It's, that's curious, isn't it? And when I say, let's you know, wonder and, and think about what might have been going through their minds, you know, we're told right here that this was going through their minds. They were thinking, I'd really like to ask him who he is, but I'm pretty sure it's Jesus. And uh, Jesus came and took the bread. It says in verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, he, he served them. He served them breakfast. How cool is that? It says in verse 14, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Um, but since they, they wanted to ask him but they were afraid to ask him who he was over in Luke chapter 24 it says that at one point they thought Jesus was a ghost because I, I don't know if you know this or not but Believing in a bodily resurrection is not an easy thing. It could be something that you struggle with. But they were struggling with it. Because faith doesn't come easy, especially faith in a bodily resurrection. It doesn't come easy. And Thomas wasn't the only one who was struggling with this. They were all struggling with this even though they had seen Jesus risen with their own eyes. And I guess that reaffirms one of the things we were saying last week is that uh, sight is not always believing. Seeing is not always believing. And this is probably some of the reason for their pensive attitudes and posturing. They're not really sure, are they? There's more going on here, and what we're going to see as we read on is some of the more that's going on. But before we read on, I want to take you to Matthew 26. You will remember when we were back uh, three or four weeks ago in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives. And uh, Matthew 26, verse 30 through 35. Let's just reflect back on on that instance. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee which is where we are in our text, right? Then, verse 33 of Matthew 26, Peter answered him. And he said, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Who's the they? Who's the they? The other disciples. Though they all fall away, all these guys may desert you, but Lord, I will never deny you. And Jesus said to him, verse 34, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now, do you suppose Peter forgot this? He's so excited that Jesus is risen from the grave, he's forgotten all about the fact that he denied him, right? No. Now, I know we, don't, we can't simply rate sins on some kind of scale as to which ones are worse than others, but you have to think that denying Christ is going to be pretty far up the list, wouldn't you? Denying Jesus would be pretty far up the scale. And I can't think of very many things, if anything, that has more potential to damage a relationship than infidelity. Can you? It wasn't just Judas that betrayed Jesus, was it? And if we could just put ourselves in Peter's sandals for a a few moments this morning. I think we might be able to appreciate what happens next, and I think we might even find out why there is a John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I'm not, I, I don't know, we're not told, but I think it was a fairly quiet breakfast. I find it's interesting that Jesus waited till they were done breakfast. Maybe they didn't have really big appetites at that time either, but, but at the end of the breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What are the these, do you think? Because in the text, it can be the fish, the boats, And that would make sense because you remember when Jesus first called Peter, it says in Luke chapter 5, and they left everything and followed him. But when Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It can also mean these guys. And that would make sense too when you think about Peter. Because remember what he said. He said, Though all of these deny you, I will never deny you. And so Peter says to Jesus, John 21, verse 15 Yes, Lord you know that i love you and the you, the words you know there in the greek are emphatic you know that i love you and jesus said to him feed my lambs and he said to him the second time simon son of john do you love me and peter said to him yes lord you know that I love you. And again, those words are emphatic. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And then Jesus said to him, the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter, it says, was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And you have to know Where Peter's mind is, don't you? And he said to him the third time (laughs) Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. And then Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after th- saying this, he said to him, to Peter, follow me. Now what's what's What's, what is all this? What is, what's happening here? You know, there's so much that could be said about it, but, uh, but I think that it, it's helpful to look at this and, and understand that this is relational, right? You could say this has a lot to do with a lot of different things, but at the very heart and center of this, this is about the relationship between Jesus and Peter, you, you may recall this uh, passage from Luke chapter 22, where Luke records the uh, words about Jesus, um, about, about uh, yeah Jesus' uh, words about Peter denying him. He says, "Simon, Simon, this is Luke 22:31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again." strengthen your brothers Peter said to him Lord I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death and Jesus said I tell you Peter the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me uh, three times deny that you know me three times um, Peter denied Jesus three times Jesus asked Peter Peter do you love me now there are different words in the Greek here there's different words for love used um, there's different. John uses different uh, w- words uh, that he puts in Jesus' mouth. Uh, for la- once, it's lamb, uh, lambs. Twice, it's sheep. Uh, once, Jesus says, "Feed uh, my uh, my uh, sheep." And in another instance, he says, "Tend my sheep." And uh, people have made a lot about those different terms and why those different terms would be used. And a lot of times, when this passage is studied. Applications are made from those distinctives or those differences. Um, I've studied it, and I'm convinced that that's just John using uh, um, style of writing. Uh, remember, Jesus is speaking in Aramaic, and John is writing in Greek. And John, if you study the Gospel of John, he uh, he uh, his writing style is is very much one where he loved put using different words. We do the same thing, right? When we're talking, we'll use a, a different word with a slightly different shade of meaning rather than just repeating ourselves all the time, right? Because we feel that... Just communicates a little bit better and, and it does so what i 'm saying to you is I, you know they say that one of the words that Jesus, that Jesus used here for love was a, a or that Peter used for love was like a friend kind of love, and you know so there 's different the different Greek words have different meanings I, you know I, I think we need to cut through all of that and just ask ourselves the question: what is going on here and if we ask ourselves that question, I think we the answer that we get when we simply read it through is is that Uh, Jesus is restoring Peter. Jesus is restoring the relationship that he has with Peter because the relationship is broken. And you know what? Jesus knows our hearts. And, And I think when Peter keeps saying, Lord, you know that I love you. And you also know that I failed you. And I think that that's, Isn't that your experience and mine? Isn't that what we say to Jesus? If Jesus were here, standing here in front of you today, and he looked you right in the eye and said, you know, Isaac, do you love me? Isn't that what you would say, Lord, you know that I love you? You know everything. And isn't that how we feel in our hearts? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you know Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you love him, but you also fail him, don't you? And if we're going to follow Jesus, here's some of the takeaways today. If we're going to follow Jesus, it will depend on our relationship with him. And that relationship is totally based on the forgiveness and the restoration of Christ. It's not going to ever be based on our ability to be faithful. It's going to be based on his grace and his willingness to forgive us and to restore us every time we let him down. And there's really one point that Jesus makes flowing out of that, and that is that if we love Jesus, we'll also care for those he cares for. If we are in right relationship with Jesus, and we'll care about others. So there's a lot in this right here, isn't there? And there's more to it still because the last four verses or last five verses there... In John chapter 21, we might as well read those. What time is it? Quarter two. Give me just a couple more minutes, moments of your time. Let's uh, read John chapter 21, 20 to 24. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, and one of who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, uh, he's, and who was that again? John. When Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So so here, Jesus and Peter have been having this this relationship time, okay? And and Peter is restored. He's he's, uh, probably feeling a whole lot better about his relationship with Jesus now. And Jesus, he he must have loved so much when Jesus said once again to him, follow me all right, Lord, we're we're back on. We're back to where we should be. But then he looks over and he sees John and he says, what about him? Remember, Jesus has just talked about the way Peter is going to die. And uh, he says, you know, that's what's in your future, Peter. You're going to end up paying the ultimate price for me. And so Peter looks over at John and says, Lord, what about him? Verse 22, Jesus said to, to Peter, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. And that's the phrase I want to I kind of focus on as we end here, but we'll read on. Verse 23, so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that his, this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him, um, he was not to die, but he said, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? And this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, who is John. And we know that his testimony is true. Um, Rhetorical we there, I believe. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And again, Jesus says... You follow me. Again, the details, you know, we could discuss, but we obviously don't have time to talk about it a lot. But I want to make the point, folks, friends, loved ones, that this, too, is part of this whole relationship dynamic that we're seeing unfold here, because... There is our relationship with Christ, which is our primary relationship that takes precedent over all other relationships. But just like Peter said, just like Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? Yeah, okay. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Tend my lambs. When we have that relationship with Christ and when we're rightly related to Jesus, we will care about other people, but... We won't, we won't lose our perspective on that relationship either, will we? We won't be, if our eyes are on Jesus, we won't be comparing or um, competing or wondering, or have the deal, or get mired down in questions about, um, about uh, what other people have. Or don't have. We won't be have to worry about envy or strife. We will care. But we will not need to feel the need to lord it over people. So... I just think it's amazing how the focus here is Jesus is taking this time to really put the focus on those relationships. Because relationships matter to Jesus more than anything. And, and I just want to say to, to you this morning, if, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then you're going to need to have a relationship with Jesus. That's the only way it works. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, it will be based on his faithfulness to you and his forgiveness and his restoring of your life. Not on your ability to be able to serve him or be faithful to him. Because we will fail him. And he forgives and he restores. And if we have that type of relationship with Jesus and we have our eyes on Jesus, then we will care for those for whom he cares. That's the that spillover. If you want to sum up life, you know, we have that big ball that we projected here earlier and call it our life model, but if you want to sum it up and condense it down, the idea of community or relationship or communion, because it's one that we're not talking about really two things here. We're not talking about having a relationship with God and then having a relationship with others. It's of the same thing, because when we have a relationship with Christ that we should have, then... the Others are brought into that, and we care. And if we don't care, what do we got? First Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1, 2, and 3. If you don't have love, you got nothing. That's what are the basis of all of it, a relationship with, with Jesus. Uh, let me ask you in closing, do you have that kind of a relationship with Jesus? Is it a relationship that depends on his forgiveness, his grace, not on your effort or your ability to be able to be faithfully following? Will we follow? Yes, out of love. And that love will overflow into the lives of others. It'll change every relationship we have. It'll change how you look at people. That's what it does. Our relationship with Jesus is transformational. It transforms our lives. Do you have that kind of relationship? I hope you do, but if you don't, now's the time. And you can you can you can have that. Jesus offers it to us. Because this discipleship thing we'll in Jesus, it's still as relevant today as it was when Jesus talked to Peter. So we're going to stop there. I've gone a few minutes over time-wise, but I want to just take the time to pray with you this morning, if you will. Lord in heaven, I thank you for your people. I thank you, thank you Lord, for each one who's been listening to my muddled words today. And I thank you, Lord, for those who have listened to your word your message, your scripture, this day, in um, this passage, this powerful passage of scripture. Lord, it's, it, we are so humbled to think that you would want a relationship with the likes of us because we fail you. But we thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, that you forgive even the darkest and deepest sins. That we commit against you because we are weak and we are sinful. But we thank you, Lord, that you are the faithful one, that you died on that cross and rose from that grave so that we could have the forgiveness of our sins and experience your grace and have eternal life. And we know, Lord, that that life is a relationship. With you, and we thank you that that's ongoing and it's transforming. Lord, we pray that we would be transformed by our relationship with you and that that would overflow into the lives and benefit all of those around us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us that type of grace today and that type of love for each other.